Our scripture this morning is going to be taken from the Gospel of John. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles to John chapter 4, you can also find it, uh, that text printed for you in the bulletin. So this week, um, many of you know this already, we did our tour of possible out-of-state colleges uh, with our son, Will. We looked at some of the, the places that he's considering going out-of-state. We'll hit in-state stuff later. And so on Monday, we drove from Spartanburg uh, to Chapel Hill to look at UNC. And then we drove to Raleigh and spent the night there and did NC State on Tuesday and then drove back to Spartanburg. Got up Wednesday morning, drove to Athens uh, to look at Georgia, and then drove from Athens to my parents' house near Troy, Alabama, which is about four and a half hours. Spent the night with them, got up Thursday morning, drove to Auburn to tour Auburn and to see our daughter Emma, and then drove back Thursday night to see my parents again, and then drove back to Auburn Friday morning to see Emma and eat lunch with her and her friends. And then we timed that just right so that we could drive through Atlanta at 5 o'clock. Um, <laughs> On the way back, my wife drove through Atlanta, so much praise be to her. Um, I, I mentioned, uh, what, what, well, why did we do that? Like, that seems like, it was fun, but that's a lot of driving to do in five days, a lot, of back and, a lot of back and forth. We didn't mind it because, you know, we want our son to find a college that he likes. And so we're willing to do something that seems a little bit inconvenient uh, in order to, to help him figure that out. Um, one of the places I mentioned was, was Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill actually caused one of the first fights in Susan and my relationship. It was right after we <clears throat> got engaged and we were driving to somewhere near D.C., Gambrels, Maryland, to see family. We were kind of on that engagement tour or something like that, and we were, we were seeing everybody. And we, we were going through Chapel Hill, and neither of us had ever seen the campus. As we'd heard it was beautiful, and Susan really wanted to stop and see the campus. And I really wanted to get to Maryland and beat D.C. traffic, okay? And so I, I kind of won that argument. I was, I was willing to go to great lengths. I mistakenly won that argument. I was, I was willing to go to great lengths to beat D.C. traffic. I was not willing to go to great lengths to see Chapel Hill that moment. Uh, and so I've learned from that, and 23 years later, we went and saw Chapel Hill. Um, but... But what are the things that you are willing to go to great lengths for, to be inconvenienced by? Uh, how far out of the way would you drive to save 10 cents a gallon on gas? Or just to, just to find a great deal, how far out of the way will you go? Uh, how far out of the way will you go to stop at that great restaurant, even though it's not really on the path that you, would get you where you're going the quickest? When there's, when there's something we really want, when there's something we truly desire, we will go to great lengths to get that thing that we desire. So let me ask you a question then this morning. What lengths would you be willing to go to to get to know a sexually immoral outcast of a different race and different religion in order to show them the love of Jesus Christ? Our students, think of that person in school who is the most uncool person there who nobody wants anything to do with, what links would you be willing to go to to get to know them so that they might know the love of Jesus Christ? Now we think about that, and aren't we all glad that Jesus loves us more than we love other people, right? And, and, and I don't say that to, to guilt us, but that's just true, isn't it? That, that he loves us so much. And the point is not 
guilt, but just to get us to look at our hearts and say, okay, why is it, um, what's going on there that, that keeps me from really carrying out the Great Commission? Like that, that seemed like that was a big deal to Jesus for us to go and to make disciples. He tells us that the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love other people. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that telling people about Jesus fits into that loving other people category. What if we really embrace that? To, to really embrace telling others about Christ. What, what if the Holy Spirit really lit a fire under us as a congregation so that we wanted other people to hear the gospel? That we, that we didn't just talk about outreach, but we actually passionately did outreach. What would it look like for us to actually pursue people with the intention of them knowing Jesus Christ? Uh, so we're going to think about today, we're looking at John chapter 4, uh, and I'm going to begin reading here in verse 1 and just encourage you to follow along silently as I read. This is God's word. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me 
all that I ever did, can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Pray for us. Father in heaven, um, would you grant unction now? Holy Spirit, would, would you come and, and work through my words and work in our hearts um, that even in a small way we might begin to have the love for others that Jesus has for us? We ask in his name. Amen. So what would it look like for us to pursue people with the intention of pointing them to Jesus? That's what we're going to think about. And I want to present five things to you that I think that involves. Number one, it would involve us being intentional. It would involve us being intentional. Uh, John tells us here in verse 3 that Jesus left Judea in order to go to Galilee. Then he tells us in verse 4 that Jesus had to pass through Samaria to do that. Now, if you were to look at a map, you would say, well, of course, he had to pass through Samaria to do that. Just like we would, have, we would have to pass through Georgia to get to Alabama. That just makes sense. But here's what the map wouldn't tell you. Uh, in Jesus' day, the Jewish people usually didn't just go through Samaria. They would actually take one of the two longer roads around Samaria to avoid going through Samaria. Just so that they wouldn't come into contact with any Samaritans. Uh, Harry Potter fans, think about the way Slytherins felt about mudbloods. That's the way Jews felt about Samaritans. Uh, They were not racially pure or religiously pure in the eyes of the Jewish people. They had intermarried with people from other nations, and so their religion even had become this mix of pagan practices and Old Testament religious practices. They even built their own temple at Mount Gerizim and said that this is where you ought to worship, not in Jerusalem, And so the Jews didn't like Samaritans. They even had a saying that if you were meeting a Samaritan on the road, that you would probably be better off to walk in the ditch just so that their, your shadows wouldn't touch. Okay? So there was not a lot of love lost there. So then why does Jesus, who, who is a Jew, how does, why does he have to go through Samaria? Why does he have to go through Samaria? Jesus has to go through Samaria because there is a woman at a well that he wants to meet. There is a woman at a well who doesn't know the love of his father. And he wants her to know the love 
of his father. And in order for her to know that love, he has to go through Samaria. In fact, you'll see he has to go through Samaria all the way to the cross in order for her to know his love. So Jesus intentionally goes to meet with this woman. He goes to her on purpose. Um, but you may be here with us this morning. You may not consider yourself uh, a believer in Jesus Christ, in which case uh, I'm glad you're willing to come this morning and, and to, to put up with us and, and to listen to me. Uh, and I want to invite you to consider, though, that maybe you're not here by chance. So this is not just an accident. But in God's providence, it may be that you're here because God, God in his son Jesus Christ is actually coming after you. And he wants you to know the love and the forgiveness of his father. He wants you to know how great and kind his father is. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this <clears throat> reminds us that we didn't go out of our way to find Jesus. He went out of his way to find us and to pursue us. And now as his disciple, he's calling us to intentionally leave behind our comfort, leave behind our security, and to pursue others, to love other people in the way that you have been loved by God. And, y'all, that's not something you just fall into. You know, we, the church talks about evangelism a lot. We talk about outreach a lot. But I think a lot of the time we pursue evangelism kind of like that TV show that we're, that we're going to watch if it happens to be on when we sit down. All right, Jack is kind of like this with the Avengers right now. He's not going to, we're not going to go rent it. But if it happens to be on, yeah, that, that's what I'm going to watch right now. Uh, if there's something we really want to watch, we don't, we don't do that, do we? We don't just sit down and hope that it's on. You set the DVR, you bump it up to the top of the list so it's first priority above everybody else's shows. You password protect it so that, so that nobody can delete it or accidentally delete it. And then you find a time to watch it. And you may even turn your phone off. Like, I am, I am going to watch this show. When there's something we really want to see, we're intentional about it. We're intentional about the finding the time to make it happen. So what, is it, what does it then look like for us to be intentional about reaching people with the gospel? There's all kinds of things we could say about that. We have to be intentional about living godly lives, uh, intentional about working on my relationship with Jesus. And we, we spent several weeks talking about that, what that looks like when we talked about sanctification means we need to be intentional about prayer, uh, kingdom prayer, um, not just praying about health issues. As important as those are, we want to do that, but actually praying for the lost to come and know Jesus. And, and I would really like challenge our community groups, if you're not regularly praying for the lost, if we're not regularly praying for the lost in our community groups, I think we're kind of failing at community group because we're making it just one more thing that's all about us. Instead of using it as an opportunity to say, hey, man, here's this person I'm praying for. Will you, will you pray with me for them? Uh, it looks like us being intentional about building relationships with other people. It looks like us being intentional about learning to practice hospitality. Uh, I, I just picked up a, a new book I, I just got in the mail when we got back by Rosaria Butterfield. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And I, I'm going I'm to try to get everybody reading this book. But she tells a story in the beginning of, of the book. She says there's this guy named, they've been praying for a, their next door neighbor had moved. They've been praying for a new next door neighbor. And this guy named Hank moves in. 
And Hank was this guy who seemed to just randomly dig holes in his front yard for no reason. He didn't cut the grass. Um, he, he would play the music really loud all the time. He'd get on these cell phone conversations where he's just cussing people out because he got so mad with, with whoever he was talking to. He had a 100-pound pit bull that would run loose in the neighborhood. Like, there's, there's a good neighbor for you. That's who you all want living next door, right? The guy with a 100-pound pit bull running loose. And so she said this was not the neighbor they prayed for, obviously. This was not the neighbor they prayed for. They tried to get to know him anyway, but they couldn't get, he like took the doorbell off of his house. He didn't put a sign up that said don't ring. He just took the doorbell off because he did not want to be bothered. And so they're like, well, we're just going to pray for this guy. Um, at some point, the pit bull goes missing. And Hank is distraught. And the dog is gone for a week. And so Rosaria Butterfield and her husband, they reach out to him during this time. And they help him look for the dog. And in the midst of all this, they really bond and build a relationship. And they start walking their dogs together. Uh, they start eating meals together. They, you know, they begin to find things that they have in common. And they find out that, that Hank had PTSD and ADHD and clinical depression. And there's, there's all this stuff going on in Hank's life. But they're still building this relationship with Hank. Now, fast forward. Uh, she says she's sitting at her desk one morning, and she's actually praying for Hank. And she's looking at his house, and she sees DEA agents swarming all over the place. Well, it turns out Hank had a meth lab in his house. Okay, So they spent all this time in getting to know Hank. And they had good relationships with the rest of their neighbors, so their house kind of became where everybody was watching the DEA bus going down. And the neighbors were kind of mad at them because they're like, you had to know. Like, you had to know, how could you befriend this guy when, when this was going on uh, at his house? So they had to work through that. Uh, she said they, they, put a, they wrote two letters. They wrote one, and they put it on next door. For those of you who have next door in your neighborhood, it's a community website. Uh, they put a, put a letter on next door and invited everybody over for a cookout after church one Sunday where they kind of worked through the fact that there had been a meth lab next door. And uh, the husband actually got to talk about the gospel and how they were trying to love this neighbor. They wrote the other letter to Hank, who was in jail, who, while he was in jail, actually came to know Christ. Now, none of that is how we want hospitality to work, right? Like, we're like, we want this to be simple and clean and not messy and safe. And so I, I just feel like the biblical commands to practice hospitality push back against all my idols of I want to be safe and comfortable and happy and secure and God, if, if you will bring another person alongside that kind of fits that mold who I can get along with well, then we can do evangelism. But don't bring Hank, because that's, that's kind of scary. But we're, we're called to, to practice hospitality. That's one of the ways, I, I think one of the most important ways we reach people in our culture. Uh, what are other ways we can be intentional? I talk about a lot of these in our new members class. Just eat with other people. You've got three meals a day. Share a meal with somebody. Uh, hobby with people who aren't like you. Don't, don't just join the Christian running club. Join the, join the running club. Uh, talk to your coworkers. Walk around in your neighborhood. Try to get to know people. Participate in city events. Look for ways to, to help your neighbors when those opportunities arise. And one of the things I know that you feel when I say these things is it, it feels like one more thing to do. Like our, our lives are just, they're just, they're jam-packed with stuff already. And when, when I talk like this, I know we all feel 
that's one more thing for me to do. What I would submit to you is you don't have to create one more thing to do on your calendar. Invite people to do something you're doing already. Invite people to do something you're doing already. You're going to eat. Invite people to eat with you. You're going to take a break at work. Invite people to take a break with you and, and talk for a minute. You're going to go to the store. Invite somebody to go to the store with you and run errands. Um, those of you who have adopted a college student or thinking about adopting a college student, you don't have to carve out like this is special college student time from 2 to 4 on Thursday afternoon. You're going to do laundry. Just invite them over when you're doing laundry. I invite people to do the things that you're already doing. Uh, another thing I just suggest is to, to develop some kind of system to help you remember to do this, to help you to be intentional about doing this. Uh, you know, take a stack of note cards. Some of us do this already, and, and you may write down goals for your family, prayers for your kids, uh, things you want to accomplish at work, things like that. Write down in those note cards, I want to be intentional, that's a new word, intentional about reaching out to other people. All right, and then start thinking about how am I actually going to do that. Talk to your family about, all right, here's a goal. And we talk about this all the time, and we never do this. What would it look like for us to do this? All right, how do vacations happen? Like we, we plan them. We, we don't just say we're going to go on vacation this summer. Well, I hope that works out and we have a hotel to stay in and someone picks a destination. We plan all of that. All right. So, so think about what would it look like for me to plan uh, reaching out to my neighbors? What would that look like? How, how can I be intentional about reaching in a way that, that fits who God has made uh, me and my family to be? So number one, be intentional. Uh, that was the longest point, trust me. Number two, uh, cross barriers. Cross barriers. Uh, this woman's race was a problem. This woman's religion was a problem. This woman's gender was a problem. Uh, in this, at this time, Jewish rabbis didn't have women as disciples. Uh, women were not allowed to be witnesses in court. In fact, there was supposedly a prayer of the Pharisees where they prayed, thank you God that I'm not a Gentile but a Jew. Thank you that I am not slave but free. Thank you that I am not a woman but a man. And so her gender is a barrier. Her sin is a barrier. Her sin is a problem. She has had five husbands, and the man she's shacked up with now is not her husband either. And yet here is Jesus coming to her, crossing all these barriers, and saying, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink in verse 9? And the Samaritan woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? Like, she's, whoa, this doesn't happen. Who, wh why are you doing this? Uh, for those of you who have seen the, the movie Mississippi Burning, uh, you remember there's a scene there where an FBI agent walks into small-town Mississippi cafe where there's the black section and the white section, and, and he's a white agent, and he intentionally crosses barriers and goes and eats with the African-American people there. So everybody's just, like, staring at him, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? He had crossed one of those barriers. He had crossed one of those lines in order to say, I want to identify with you. I care about you. I want to talk to you. Jesus here is crossing one of those lines. He's crossing one of those lines that you just didn't cross. And he says, I'm going to talk to somebody that everybody else in my tribe refuses to talk to. 
He even goes against the Jewish customs of his day because they weren't even allowed to share eating utensils with Samaritans. As he asks her for a drink here, he crosses barriers in order to intentionally pursue the woman at the well. What are those barriers for us? What are those barriers that keep us from intentionally pursuing other people? Uh, they could be barriers like Christian subculture rules. Like, I don't know if I can be in a place like that. What if, what if somebody sees me? Uh, they may be racial barriers. They may be socioeconomic barriers. I always like to point out this time of year, if you go to the Criterium, the, the bike race downtown, there are two Spartanburgs there. There's the race here, and there's the people on the inside of the track, and there's the people on the outside of the track. And those are two incredibly different groups of people, and you know this if you've been. And I think people on both sides are kind of bad-mouthing to others, to be honest about that. Like, we can look down on each other no matter which group that you fit in. There, there are two Spartanburgs there. Are, are there cultural barriers? Like, like, you know, like man, could, could you really love on the, 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 the person you secretly suspect uh, has a meth lab next door. Like, they're, they're just a little bit too beneath me. Or I, they're, they're, they're too uppity. What, whatever it is for you, whichever direction you're going that. And, you know, maybe the barrier is just in my heart. Again, as I, I said with Hank, it's, it's that idolatrous pursuit of happiness, peace, pleasure, security that I have that keeps me from crossing barriers. I want to just design this safe space where I can live my wonderful life and you don't seem like you're going to help my agenda very much. Crossing this line is not going to help my agenda that much, so I'm, I'm hesitant to cross it. What are those barriers? What are the barriers for you that you need to cross? Thirdly, be intentional. Cross barriers. Show respect. Uh, Jesus recognizes the image of God in her. Notice where he starts. He doesn't start with, you really need to repent here because I'm the son of God and that would be a good thing for you to do. He doesn't start by telling her how messed up, his, uh, messed up her religion is, although they're going to talk about religion. He starts just by asking her for a drink of water. And, you know, Jesus could turn, you know, water into wine. He probably could come up with some water on his own, but he asked her for a drink. He's asking her to do something for him. He's saying, in spite of what most Jewish people think about you, I think you have something to offer me. I I want your help. I'm asking for your help. I'm asking for, for your kindness. You're not just some worthless, adulterous, half breed idolater. You have dignity because you're made in the very image of God. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield talks about Hank, the meth lab guy, who loved dogs and loved bird watching and came and helped them chop down wood and and stack it for the fireplace in the winter. Things that that he enjoyed and and gave him dignity. Uh, Think about Lance Armstrong. If if you had the chance to share the gospel with Lance Armstrong, where would you start? Where would you start? Would you start with his performance-enhancing drugs and his cheating. Like, man, what you really shouldn't have been doing. That's probably not where you're going to start. You would probably start with the fact that he's funded tons of cancer research. Like, man, this is a really good thing that you have done. Or as, as Jim Gaffigan said, is everyone still fake mad at that bike rider who raised millions of dollars to fight cancer? Like, 
Like, we're just furious at you for cheating. Um, Y'all, if if we're going to to share the love of Jesus Christ with people around us, we can't see people as enemies. We can't see people as on the opposite side in some culture war we've got to win. We can't see people as somebody that I've got to rant about on social media because what they're doing is so dumb. We can't see people as somebody who may contaminate us. We can't see people as threats, but as people made in the very image of God who, as those made in the image of God, have something to offer to us. You know, one of the, I think one of the reasons we have a hard time reaching the people around us is that we see ourselves as the ones who have things put together, and we think for them what the ideal thing would for them just to be like me, to be more like me, to get their act together and be like me. But we are, you know, we are so morally flawed, and our families are messed up, even though we, we cover it all up. And our theology is messed up, too. We're going to find out one day there's all these things that are wrong with our theology. We, we are weak, and we are needy. And, and we, we need to realize that's who we are uh, and learn to embrace the, the, the image of God and the things that the people around us have to offer us. Uh, Dan Doriani says that his father was actually a committed communist, but he says at the same time he was one of the best fathers that he saw of anybody around him. And he says this, Just stop one day and take the time to think about who grew and prepared the food you eat, who designed and made the clothes you wear, the house you live in, the car you drive, and the computer you use. Every day of our lives, every Christian in the world is benefiting from the wisdom and talents of non-Christians. Let us humble ourselves and learn at Jesus' feet to be thankful for this constant reality. Be intentional, cross barriers, show respect. Number four, carry on a conversation and listen. Listen. Uh, From the passage, we know that they talked about living water. We know that they talked about Jacob. We know that they talked about the right place for worship. We know that they talked about worship. We know they talked about the Messiah. Uh, I think one of the best things we can do as Christians if we want to share our faith is to slow down and get to know the person we're talking to and ask good questions and listen. Uh, Learn about their faith. Learn about what their questions are, what their passions are. And, you know, that's not meant to be a technique. That's just what it looks like to love another person. All right? Um, Listening to people... And being interested in their lives, that's loving them. Not just waiting for what you're going to say next, but listening to them and, and, and hearing who they are. That's how one of the best ways we love people. And it shows people, it does show people that we care. It does show people that we're interested. It does help us to know what kind of questions they really have instead of us assuming we know what they need to hear. I think, you know, we've, we've had this idea of evangelism is me memorizing an outline, and when I get the conversation to the right place, I throw out the outline, and you respond to Jesus, and everything is, is perfect. Instead, let me suggest that we simply listen to people and learn where people are coming from and learn what they're really thirsty for and then learn as we're hearing that how we might best point them to Jesus. I was reading... Uh, an article once, it was top ten helps for evangelism, and it was written from an atheist perspective. 
And, and one of the things he said was, when talking about religious and philosophical matters, ask more questions and do less preaching. Ask more questions and do less preaching. So we want to listen. We want to listen. Number five, uh, at the appropriate time, we do want to point people to Jesus. Um, Jesus does point out her sin. He gets to that point in the conversation, but he does that lovingly. He does that graciously. And then he points her to himself. He says, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. I am the one who gives living water. Uh, he's, he's not uncomfortable being around her. He draws her in the conversation, and then he points her to himself. And he communicates love and compassion as he does that. What are we communicating in our relationships with, with people who aren't like us? People who don't believe. People who are messy. People who struggle with addiction. People who have a different political point of view on things. Just different in whatever way. Are we pointing them to Jesus? Or do we really just want them to clean themselves up and be more like me and think about everything like me? Well, how do I, how do I get there? Uh, I think in order to get there, I have to realize that while I can learn about evangelism from Jesus, I'm not Jesus. Actually, if, if I'm in this story, I'm less like Jesus and I'm more like the woman at the well. That's the person in this story that you and I are. I'm the one who's messed up. I'm the one with skeletons in my closet. I'm the sinner. And Jesus has come after me intentionally and loved me and given himself for me. He laid down his life for me. And I think realizing that, that that's who I am in the story and that's who I continue to be in the story is how I actually am then enabled to reach other people and bring them into the story. Um, I've, I've read this quote I'm about to read, or this paragraph, several times um, but, man, I think it captures the essence of evangelism these days. It's, it's written, by, written by Wes Simmons, who's my daughter's campus minister uh, with RUF at Auburn. And he, he writes this, Courage, boldness, confidence. These are the words we typically associate with evangelism. But what if evangelism is more about our weakness than our strength? More about humility than boldness? What if it's more about sharing why you need Jesus, inviting people into your brokenness, than it is about trying to convince them why they need Jesus? What if evangelism really is more about sharing than convincing, more about being vulnerable with our brokenness than being so quick to point it out in others? When you're willing, in humility, to first share with someone about your brokenness, your heart idols, and your own need for Jesus, they are much more likely to be drawn into a conversation than if you start the conversation by asking them why they should be allowed into heaven one day. We want to give people space to put their guard down for a few minutes, not provoke them to put it up. We want to give them space to hear about Jesus. I usually share my own story, talking in an appropriate way about the idols of my heart, there are many, and my struggle with sin. I talk about how the gospel of Jesus applies to those idols and what the calling to repent and believe the gospel looks like in my life. Eight times out of ten, people end up at some point saying something to the effect of, you too? I thought I was the only one, albeit in different 
words. They began to share a bit about their own lives and even their own brokenness. They began to reveal their own sin and need for Jesus. Even though they might not understand it fully, they are opening up because you have given them an invitation. The, you know, the, the key to getting that opportunity to tell people how much they need Jesus is not telling them how much they need Jesus. It's telling them how much you need Jesus. It's sharing with them how much you need Jesus. Telling them that you are the woman at the well and Jesus has come for you. Y'all, we need people on our outreach team. Uh, and, and I would love for some of you to consider doing that. But really, we don't, we don't need more people necessarily on that committee. Because you all are the outreach team. And you're doing outreach every day. And what, what we need as a church for each person here to be doing is to go, be going out and telling other people, here's how much I need Jesus. Here's why I need Jesus. That's the evangelism we're called to as a congregation. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, we do need your son. We need his righteousness. Um, And it's so easy for us to be theoretical about that. And to say we need that while we fail to confess our sin, we fail to own up to who we are, Uh, We act like we have everything together. So I pray that you'd help us to be more vulnerable about the ways that we need Jesus. I pray that you'd help us to be more intentional about reaching the lost around us. I pray, Father, that you would help cross some of those barriers that we are are very afraid to cross. Uh, We have built our safe space, and we don't want to leave that. Uh, So kind, Father, would you nudge us out of those safe spaces Uh, And let us know that it's going to be okay. Because even outside of those spaces, we we are in your hands. And those are good hands. Help us to believe that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.